Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world's sounds. You're listening to episode 57 of Hack to Start. This episode features Grace Gary, the co-founder of Watsi, fund healthcare for people around the world. Tyler and I wanted to invite Grace onto the show to share her story in international development, what led her to working in startups, and what the motivation behind starting Watsi was. After college, Grace turned an internship at Kiva into a permanent role and was responsible for launching their Kiva U program. She then helped co-found Watsi, and it was the first nonprofit company ever accepted into Y Combinator. Today, Watsi has seen over 13,000 people help fund healthcare for individuals in developing countries. This is going to be an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, Grace. Thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So let's start things off by getting to know a bit more about yourself. Where are you from? What did you study? And how did your passion for entrepreneurship develop? Yeah, so I grew up in Berkeley, California. Um, I went to school in Southern California down at UC Santa Barbara. And I studied global and international studies and political science. So always really interested in the world and um, what people were doing to attack some of the world's biggest problems and, and what were some of the creative solutions people were coming up with and really just, just sort of interested in finding a way to, to be useful and to get involved in some way. You know, I think the, the sort of path towards entrepreneurship was definitely not one that I anticipated, probably, you know, wouldn't have come naturally to me. <laughs> I think it was more sort of a means to an end. I got really excited about an idea about how things could be different and working backwards from there it just seemed like uh, working on something new that didn't yet exist in the world was the best path. So <laughs> that's sort of how it happened. So you had the chance to live in Ghana during college and then did an internship in Washington, D.C. as part of International Rescue Committee. Can you share with us what both of those experiences were like? Yeah, so I actually lived in Ghana during college and in West Africa. Um, but yeah, both both experiences were were really great and sort of I think important for me because they were an opportunity to apply practically a lot of the stuff that I had been thinking about and, and reading about and learning about uh, a little bit more theoretically up until that point. Um, in Ghana, I was I was studying uh, post conflict peace building and economic development and and all kinds of uh, stuff related to emerging economies and. In developing countries and um, actually had the opportunity there to assist on a research project in a Liberian refugee camp in Ghana. And being able to actually interview, you know, dozens of people who had fled Liberia during the civil war there um, and were sort of starting fresh in Ghana and, and hearing about what their challenges had been as, as they rebuilt their lives and how the international community had or hadn't been useful to them and how the nonprofits that they had encountered um, had either provided a valuable service or, you know, not done a great job of really addressing their needs uh, was really the first time that I've been able to interact with, 
with some of these people that um, I had heard about and I'd read about for a long time, but really as you know, users of a service or a product and heard directly from them about where there were some unmet needs. So that was really, really an eye-opening experience for me. And coming off the hills of that and taking a quarter off school to go intern in Washington, D.C. at the International Rescue Committee, which is a, you know, gargantuan humanitarian organization that, that just does, you know, massively good things around the world, particularly for refugees, um, was sort of an opportunity to sit on the other side of that equation and understand how, you know, fundraising and prioritization worked um, on, on the sort of powerful side of the world, right, where the International Rescue Committee was going to the U.S. government and to major international agencies and asking them for support so they, they could provide services. Um, and in a lot of ways, that was super inspiring. I was around people who I had sort of looked up to uh, for my entire life. People lived all around the world and spoke lots of different languages and were experts in their fields. Um, but it was also sort of discouraging to see how trapped a lot of their efforts felt in these really rigid traditional systems where they went to one group of people for money and they deployed that money over to the other side of the world, um, you know, based oftentimes on interests that were pretty far removed from those people that I'd spent a lot of time with in Ghana who really knew what they needed to make their lives better. And um, and so that, that distance was a little bit frustrating for me, um, but it's ultimately what sort of led to me wanting to explore a different sort of more creative path towards solving some of these problems. It's awesome to hear you talk about that stuff because my academic background is, is also in international development and globalization. And I think it's really cool to see, you know, the carryover to uh, building tech products. So before we get into your current startup, Watsi, you were actually previously pretty deeply involved with Kiva. So what is Kiva and how did you get the opportunity to internship there? Yeah, so Kiva is a nonprofit that lets anyone lend as little as $25 to an entrepreneur in a developing country uh, to help them start or grow their business. Um, I applied for an internship at Kiva right after I graduated from college, sort of on a whim, just because it seemed like they were doing something different. They were using technology to connect people directly to each other. They, they sort of talked about the people that they were serving in a different way that was really inspiring to me. Um, they talked about hope and opportunity rather than, you know, need and, and sort of uh, victimization, which yeah. is sort of a lot of what you hear um, when you sort of explore this line of work. Um, and that was really exciting to me, the idea that, you know, people had good ideas and, and they, they had smart, you know, sort of business strategies and, and really what they needed was a little bit of capital to get up and running. And that sounded perfectly reasonable to me and, and seemed like sort of a new approach. And so um, I managed to get an internship there working on their global partnerships team on, on sort of field process and, um, you know, scaling all of these microfinance partnerships they had around the world. Uh, but while I was there, I managed to sort of parlay that experience into convincing them to let me start uh formalizing this education outreach program, which ended up being what I spent most of my time on. So while you were at Kiva, you also ended up launching a major program there called Kiva U. What was that experience like and what were some of the tactics you used to kind of grow adoption and generate awareness for the program? It was a really amazing experience. It was the first time that I had really been given the opportunity to start something from scratch. And I think just that in itself was pretty, um, you know, impactful for me. The, the fact that I as like a clueless 21 year old was able to, 
you know, just have an idea. Like I had just come from college and I was like, yeah, these young people seem like they have a lot of energy. And, um, you know, my mom is a teacher and it seems like she would be interested in using Kiva as a teaching tool. And, you know, we should be doing outreach in schools and with students and with young people who have a lot of time and energy to spend, but maybe not a lot of money. And, and they're a great sort of tool for collectively fundraising, getting the word out and, and let's maybe explore this. And um, I think I was actually pretty surprised when Kiva's leadership was just like, yeah, <laughs> sounds great. Try it. Um, and, and so I, I think I actually hadn't anticipated that. Yes. So then I was kind of like, okay, well, <laughs> what do I do? Um, but the interesting thing was at Kiva, these groups had sort of started popping up organically. There were people who were already sort of trying to do this. Um, and so the strategy was really just to find them um, and reach out to them and then put them on a platform that made the program seem bigger than it was to attract more attention. So I, you know, went and spent about a month just sort of trolling Kiva's message boards and teams and uh, the email addresses of, of people who had a .edu somewhere in there and um, essentially just reaching out to them and seeing if they'd ever considered having an event on their campus or organizing around um, some kind of awareness building or fundraising thing or using Kiva as a way to teach kids about um, global issues and finance and, and entrepreneurship. And uh, we got a few stories together and um, the goal was really just to tell those stories in a, in a really compelling way that made it sound like, you know, anyone could do this, right? Like any student who read it or any teacher who read it could see themselves sort of picking up where these people left off and joining this movement that, that didn't really exist yet, but we wanted to make it seem like it did. And so that's sort of what we did. It was this sort of like fake it till you make it kind of thing. And we launched uh, during uh, April while I was there. We sort of called it the month of microfinance and we did all these events. And um, we had, you know, within a few months, a couple hundred schools signed up and there were events all over the country that raised, you know, a bunch of money and loans. And, and now I think Kiva U has done millions and millions of dollars in loans. So it, it now actually is sort of a movement, which is pretty amazing. And they've done such an incredible job of, of growing it and, and turning it into a real program at Kiva, which is incredible, but it really was sort of my first startup experience within a more established organization of just, you know, figuring out what, what the value prop is of something and then getting a few success stories out there and, and seeing if other people want to make more of those stories happen. That's some great insight. So are there any kind of big lessons that, that stick out from, from your time at Kiva that, that later helped, you know, kind of found Watsi? That's a good question. I think probably the, the biggest lesson that I learned uh, was that you don't have to be ready. I think I always had this sort of idea that, you know, there was some threshold of readiness and like expertise and experience that I would have to accumulate before I would be ready to, to do something new um, or to, to have an idea that was worth trying or to figure out how to do something if no one had taught me how. Um, and I think, you know, my experience at Kiva was sort of the first time when I was put in a position where by all accounts, I, I wasn't ready, but then, you know, sort of turned out I was because it went okay. <laughs> um, and so I, I just think the, the biggest lesson that I took away from that experience that definitely informed um, my experience uh, starting to work on Watsi and, and even now at Watsi is that there's no better way to start than just to start. And you're, you're, you're both never going to be ready and you're always going to be ready at the same time. You're always as ready as you're ever going to be. So I think just... Lowering the barrier entry for myself was a really big lesson that I learned at Kiva. 
That's a great story and definitely something we also agree with in terms of just starting to pursue your passion. So in 2011, you were one of the co-founders of Watsi. For those who may not know, what is Watsi and what motivated you to start it? And where did the name come from? Yeah, so Watsi is a global crowdfunding platform for healthcare. So anyone can go on our website and see photos and read stories of people who need healthcare but can't afford to pay for it and donate to, for example, fund heart surgery for an eight-year-old girl in Haiti. And 100% of donations fund healthcare. We don't take a cut. And we're dedicated to complete transparency. We post everything down to screenshots from our bank account online. The name Watsi comes from uh, the experience that my co-founder Chase had uh, when he was serving as a Peace Corps volunteer in Costa Rica. He was traveling on a bus and a woman got on the bus and started asking all the local passengers for donations to pay for her son's health care. And everyone started donating. Um, and Chase just sort of had this epiphany and, and thought, you know, why is there no website where people can connect online and fund health care for people like this woman and her son? And the town he was traveling through at the time was called Watsi. And so the name just sort of stuck. That's an awesome story. So two years later, you were accepted into YC, which was the first ever nonprofit company being accepted into the program. What was that process like for you? So we had sort of a atypical process in, in getting into YC. Um, we didn't actually apply. We launched WOTC on Hacker News a few months before and, and things had been going well. We were all still at our day jobs at the time doing WOTC on the side as volunteers. And uh, a couple months into, you know, Watsi being live, we got an email from Paul Graham that said, are you guys in the Bay Area? If so, I'd like to meet you. Um, and Chase actually read that email while he was getting off a plane, and he was so excited that he left his luggage behind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was in New York at the time. Jesse, uh, our first engineer who built the site, was living in Portland. And we all essentially just dropped everything and moved out to Mountain View, got an apartment together, um, and ended up being the first nonprofit to join YC. So looking back on this experience, what were some of the biggest insights and lessons you learned during your time inside YC? What has been the biggest impact of going through it for you? Yeah, I think the biggest lesson that we learned at YC is the importance of making something that people want. It's something that sounds really obvious, but especially for a lot of nonprofits, the, the product that you create can often be informed by a lot of things other than what the people you're ultimately serving most need. Sometimes it's informed by, you know, the interests of your donors or, you know, something that, uh, that people are really excited about in sort of an academic sense. Um, but, but really distilling down the purpose of everything you do to matching the needs of the people you're trying to serve, which for us is patients and hospitals on one end and donors on the other end um, was really important for us. Uh, I think other things we got out of YC were, you know, focus. Uh, this was the first time that we had worked on Watsi full time. And, and so that opened up a lot of doors for us and, and was an enormous opportunity. Um, you know, access to the partners for advice and, uh, and, and just sort of their experiences was really invaluable. And I think probably the most important thing was just the connections that we made with the other companies in our batch. Um, you know, during YC, it was an amazing way to get people to try your products and get feedback from them and, and commiserate with people about the challenges that you're all facing and sort of feel a collective sense of success when something goes well for someone. 
Um, and that really honestly has carried on until today. These are still people that we're friends with and that we talk to all the time and whose products we try and who you know test out things for us. And so I think just having that group of people to sort of go through this experience with was pretty invaluable. Being part of YC sounds like such a cool opportunity. It's awesome to come out of it with that kind of network. So what was your role like day to day at YC? And what are some of the things you focused on? Yeah, so now I'm pretty focused on the donor side of Watsi. So thinking about what compels people to support a stranger across the world and fund their healthcare. Um, so most of what I do day to day bubbles up to that. So I spend a lot of time working on donor experience and email and content marketing and partnerships. Uh, just thinking about what's going to make existing donors really, really happy um, and what's going to draw in new donors and how can we sort of take a unique new spin on some of this stuff and, and really push the limits of what's possible on that side of things. So building on that thought of encouraging the existing donors to give again and what would draw in new donors, how do you approach growth and marketing for a nonprofit company like Watsi? Are there any specific ways you think about both of these compared to traditional nonprofits? It's not really as different um, doing growth and marketing for a, for a nonprofit, I think, than you might imagine when compared to a for-profit. I mean, it all really just comes back to figuring out what really resonates with people and presenting them with it in a way that's unique to your brand and mission. Um, so there are a few things that make Watsi different from traditional nonprofits just in the way that we, we operate. Um, you know, 100% of donations fund healthcare. We're completely transparent. We really are about connecting people and trying to make charity more human. And, and so the way that we communicate those things and attack those goals is also a bit different in that we really function more like a tech startup than a nonprofit. So we're pretty rigorous about um, using technology to automate and scale as much of our marketing as possible. And, and the way that we approach growth is more more digitally focused, right? And like building these online relationships as opposed to, you know, a traditional nonprofit whose growth, you know, is, is often measured in, you know, the donations that they get written as checks from lunches and dinners, right? It's, it's just sort of a different process. Um, but, but when compared to a for-profit startup, it's, it's probably actually more similar. What's the three most important things about building organizations and multi-sided platforms like Watsi? That's a really good question. Um, I think one really important thing we found is to align the sides. Like Watsi is, you know, essentially a marketplace, right? Where you have donors who come on and connect with patients in need of healthcare, and, and so there's these two uh, sides that sort of need to need to stay in line. And so al aligning sort of the interests, right, so that when, when things go up on one side, they go up on the other side too, and, and that they're sort of responsive and tied to each other, um, and like the incentives are aligned naturally, I think is really important. Otherwise, you find yourself sort of trying to to replicate these dynamics that don't naturally fit together. And so I think that was one thing that was really important for us is, you know, making sure that as we raise more money from donors to fund more healthcare, we have the infrastructure set up to post more patients on the site and absorb more donations and right, like vice versa. So that's one thing. I think another thing is sort of coming off of that is to make sure that you have the resources like organizationally to support both sides as needed. Like you don't want to be, you know, only investing in, in the, you know, medical operations and hospitals and patient side of things and, and not investing at all on the donor side. Um, and the same is true the other way around. 
um, just making sure that, you know, as an organization, you can invest equally in both sides and that they're sort of scaling together. And I think probably the third thing is just to be really flexible, um, especially when <laughs> you're building an organization <laughs> and a multi-sided platform that has never totally existed in this way before. Like <laughs> you're going to learn a lot and you're going to do a lot wrong um, the first time. And, and so just being able to, you know, be really really proactive about seeking feedback from people and um, actually acting on that feedback. Uh, that's been that's been something that we've had to really build into our culture and sort of product process because it's the only way that ultimately you'll end up with something that, that's really serving everyone's needs and making everyone super happy. Given your amazing experience, do you have any funny stories that you can share with us today? So the one, the one that sort of stands out is that uh, after we launched Watsi, our moms donated and like our grandparents donated, but not much else really happened. Um, and so we posted a link on Hacker News, uh, which, you know, popular technology website uh, with the title, we just built a site that saves lives. And the post shot to the top of Hacker News. We had about 20,000 uniques on our site <laughs> and the traffic crashed Watsi. And when the site came back up, donors funded healthcare for every single patient posted. And for the next few months, we were just like hustling to keep up. Donors were just like funding patients faster than we could keep them on the website. We all had day jobs at the time. It was really crazy. And we just realized like we need to be able to do this full time. But we, we didn't know how to fundraise. We didn't know how to like seek money for our operations to be able to work on Watsi full time and, and make this a real thing. And so uh, by November, which was about a week or two before PG ended up reaching out to us and inviting us to join YC, we got so desperate for operational funding that we entered a voting competition with a $10,000 prize. And we spammed all of our friends and family to vote. And we, we were up against this other nonprofit. And in the last hour of the competition, we were like just barely behind them and we kept going back and forth. Um, and I was living in New York at the time. And I was out at a bar with my friends and I went up to the bouncer at the bar who was like this enormous guy um, and convinced him to ask people to vote for Watsi before they came in the door, like on their phone. Um, and so he agreed and we ended up winning the competition and our first ever like operational money by a single percentage point. <laughs> so what's next for Watsi in 2015? In 2015, we're really just focusing on scale. So the first year of Watsi was really about proof of concept, right? Like, is this possible? Can we build this website? Does anyone want to fund healthcare online? Can we figure out a way to work with hospitals? Um, and we sort of established that, you know, yes, this is a thing we can do. It's, it's possible. Um, the second year of Watsi was really about just figuring out where where there's heat, right? It was about experimentation. So figuring out like on the marketing side, what kinds of stories can we tell and what kind of partnerships should we seek out to really get the word out and um, you know, how can we focus on retention and make sure that when a donor donates once, you know, they come back and donate again. And so we uh, you know, launched products like the Universal Fund, which is a monthly donation product that lets people sign up and automatically support a new Watsi patient every single month. Um, that's, that's really helped with retention. We did a, an entire redesign of our site. Um, and so that's going really well now. And so 2015 is really about taking those lessons and those little areas where we've learned, um, you know, if we invest some time and resources, uh, here are the results that we'll get. 
and pouring some gasoline on the fire and, and scaling them. Um, so it's a big hiring year for us. Uh, we're really focused on distribution, just, you know, how do we get Watsi in front of more people? We've found this initial group of a little over 13,000 people who've donated on Watsi and they've loved the experience and they've come back and done it again. And so now it's time to turn outward and, and get Watsi in front of more new people. That's awesome. So we're really looking forward to seeing the growth that, uh, that you guys see in the coming months. So where do you see the biggest opportunities for entrepreneurs? Are there any technologies or industries that really interest you besides Watsi and sort of the nonprofit space? Yeah, gosh, so much cool stuff happening right now. I mean, I think one area that we are, you know, probably extra exposed to because of the nature of our work is just startups that are building products for emerging economies. Like most of the world is just coming online now and they just have this whole different set of needs and um and wants and, and sort of possibilities and seeing people, you know, launch startups that are addressing those problems and those opportunities is just fascinating because, I mean, in another 5, 10, 15 years, like most of the internet is going to be, you know, pe dominated by people who live in countries that now we, we see as developing and emerging economies and they're going to be spending more money and wanting to connect with more people. and. I just think that's a really interesting dynamic and I'm super curious to see, you know, both how existing companies and startups sort of tackle that audience, um, but also like what startups come out of those areas. I mean, we spent a good amount of time last year in Kenya and because uh, we have partners there and Nairobi is just this technology hub. There are people launching startups in Nairobi that are doing such cool stuff and they're like leapfrogging so much of the technology that holds us back in the US, right? Like. M-Pesa's mobile payments uh, company, you can't even really call it a startup anymore, but you know, people pay for everything on M-Pesa in Kenya. It's like the most efficient thing on the planet. Nobody's done it that well in the US yet. Um, and so just super excited to see what comes out of those sorts of communities and environments in the next couple of years. What apps, devices, or tools are you currently using right now? And are there any books that you're currently reading or are on your recommendation list? Hmm, um, we use a good set of tools at Watsi, I think. Um, we love Slack, obviously. Everyone loves Slack. Boring. Um, <laughs> we <laughs> use Trello. I, I like Trello a lot for a sort of project management, and it's a good place to sort of dump ideas as you have them and keep them organized. Um, we also actually use Trello to track every single Watsi patient in the system. It's sort of like a CRM almost for patients, uh, which... I think is, is not probably its intended use. I think they probably find it pretty funny that we're using it for that, but it's been great. Um, <laughs> as far as books, I'm actually reading Jessica Jackley, who's the co-founder of Kiva's book right now. It's called Clay Water Brick, which is pretty cool. It's sort of autobiographical about her sort of journey and, and Kiva and personal stuff and entrepreneurship. So that's been interesting. I, I have definitely like a lady crush on her. So I just follow everything she does. Um, yeah. That's awesome. No, those, those are some solid recommendations. And I'm really interested in, in kind of checking out that book. It sounded awesome. So do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think others should know about? Um, I think one that really resonated with me that I heard uh, semi recently was choose a job you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. I feel like I've sort of lucked into that in some ways. Um, but, you know, I think for both personal and professional happiness, the more you can align the stuff you're thinking about in the shower or when you go to sleep at night with 
uh, the stuff that you end up, you know, having to do because it's your job or, or out of obligation, um, you know, the, the more exciting life will be. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to, uh, to chat with us today, Grace. It was uh, great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening and see you next time.